We're going to continue our study through the book of Acts this morning. If you've been visiting with us, uh, we are a church that just simply marches straight through books of the Bible. And in the summer, we begin a series uh, on the book of Acts. And it will be helpful this morning if you have your Bible open because this is a long narrative actually beginning last week in chapter 6 when uh, we learned about Stephen being appointed as one of those that were uh, to be uh, in service to the widows in the community. So it goes all the way through chapter 8 and I'm going to be referring to places in chapter 6, 7, and 8 so it would be helpful for you to have your Bible uh, open uh, this morning. As you're turning there, I want to tell you about a guy by the name of Wang Yi. That name might actually be familiar to some of you. He's a very prominent uh, pastor in China. He was listed as one of the 50 most influential public intellectuals in China. In 2006, he was at the White House meeting with President Bush to discuss religious freedom in China. He's also the pastor of the Early Rain Covenant Church in China. And on Sunday, December the 9th, 2018, we were worshiping here. And they were worshiping Jesus there in China. There's only one difference. On this particular Sunday, the authorities march into Pastor Yang's church and arrest a hundred members of their congregation and take and takes them to prison. Pastor Yang and his wife are actually still in custody. This story is being reported by the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, AP News, and World Magazine. And reading some of the letters that are coming out from Pastor Yang and members of his congregation has been remarkable. It sounds like something straight out of the New Testament. December the 18th, a couple of days after being arrested, he writes this, If I'm in prison for a long or short period of time, if I can help reduce the authorities' fear of my faith and of my Savior, I am very joyfully willing to help them in this way. I hope God uses me by means first of my losing my personal freedom to tell those who have deprived me of my personal freedom that there is an authority higher than their authority and that there is a freedom that cannot be restrained. There is a freedom that fills the church of the crucified, risen Lord Jesus Christ. In an interview with a reporter from the Atlantic, Pastor Wang is being interviewed and in marches two police officers, they lead him out. A few minutes later, he returns to the interview and he says, oh, it happens every week. Every week, the local authorities come and they get a list of who all attended my church that week. And we give them the information because we have nothing to hide. And the congregants that come to my church, they're okay with it too. In fact, to join our church... That is a precondition. You have to give your name and your address and your contact information to the authorities. And you must be okay with us sharing it with the authorities. And then listen to what he says. We don't want to be stuck in the old underground church mentality. You remember the underground church? 
years ago in China. There was lots of talk about it. We don't want to be stuck there because that is unhealthy, he says. Here's my question for us this morning. Would you still come to church? Would you be a member of this church if the hostile authorities required a weekly list of every church and it was a prerequisite and a precondition for our life together at Faith Presbyterian Church? The only way, the only way this happens in your life and in their life is if your joy calling and your confidence is in the gospel of Jesus Christ. The only way this happens is if your joy, confidence, and calling are in Jesus and him alone. We're going to see this morning, it was true of a man named Stephen. We're going to see very clearly that his joy and his confidence and his calling was in Jesus. So follow along with me as I read this passage and as we read I'll make a note that I'll be starting in chapter 7 verse 51 I'll be referencing the other parts of chapter 6 chapter 7 is a very long speech or sermon by Stephen and I want to encourage you today to read this it's an amazing overview of the Old Testament Uh, read it uh, today or this week and what you're going to notice in the sermon he starts out saying our father's us, we. And then in what I'm about to read, he changes it. And this is probably what got him killed. And he starts saying, you. Stephen, as what I like to call, he brings it. <laughs> he gets nose to nose and boldly proclaims the gospel. Follow along with me. And I think you'll see what I mean. This is God's word. You stiff-necked people. What a way to start, huh? Uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one whom you now betrayed and murdered. Think this is confrontational? Think he's stepping on any toes? You who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged. They ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened up and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out in a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. 
Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church. Entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. This is the word of God. Let me pray and ask God to help us through his spirit this morning. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would help us. You'd help me. That you'd come through your spirit and that you would take this passage and apply it to our hearts. Challenge us, but also comfort us. Encourage us and more than anything, show us the Lord Jesus Christ in this passage. It's in his name we pray. Amen. The book of Acts is commonly known and called the Acts of the Apostles. If you go to the title, to the first page of the book of Acts, if you have your Bible, you'll see it's the title page uh, in, in a sense. And at the top, it says, the, more than likely, it says the Acts of the Apostles. There's only one problem with that, is only a few of the apostles are mentioned in the book of Acts. As some have noted, the book should more accurately be called the Acts of Jesus and His Spirit. And isn't that what we've seen so far? The very first chapter, Jesus ascends. He sits on the throne. In chapter 2, he pours out his Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit moves the church forward chapter after chapter in the world. Over and over, we see that the Holy Spirit is the force behind everything in the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit is at center stage. And we see it again. In this section in the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit takes center stage. Remember a couple of weeks ago, we looked at Acts chapter 6, and Stephen was chosen as one of those to serve the widows. And it's interesting because Luke bookends the narrative with Stephen by referencing that he was full of the Holy Spirit. Look at chapter 6, verse 5. It says he was full of faith, And the Holy Spirit. Then you go to the end of the narrative in chapter 7, verse 55, and what does it say again? Stephen, hadn't he already told us this? (laughs) Full of the Holy Spirit. Luke wants us to see something about the Holy Spirit in this section in the book of Acts. And so this morning, we're going to talk about the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, and specifically, we're going to look at what he does when he shows up in a person's life. What does the Holy Spirit do when he shows up in the world? And again, I can't say everything about the Holy Spirit, but let's look at three things that the Spirit does in this passage. Number one, we're going to see if you're a note taker, the Holy Spirit exposes your need for Jesus. Secondly, the Holy Spirit gives you courage and confidence to move out into the world, a broken world. And thirdly, he works in unexpected ways. So let's look at those three things. Number one, he exposes your need for Jesus. One of the uh, things we see that the Holy Spirit does is he convicts the world of sin. One of the things the Holy Spirit wants to do is shake you 
and expose you and convince you that you're not just someone who sins every now and then, but that you are actually a sinner by nature, desperately in need of a Savior, desperately in need of Jesus. And that's exactly what we see the Holy Spirit doing in this passage through his servant Stephen. Look at chapter 6, verses 18, or sorry, verses 8 through 15, and let's walk through some of this to try to explain what exactly, because there's a lot happening, what's happening here. Well, in a nutshell, Stephen is preaching the gospel. And people don't like what they're hearing. And it gets Stephen in trouble. Look at verse 11. Stephen is actually, they're false charges, they're false witnesses against him, but he is brought up on charges for neglecting the temple and misusing the law of Moses. What is Stephen doing? Well, think about the song we just sang. He's essentially telling the people that it is finished. He's pressing home to them that Jesus is our temple and that Jesus is our cleanness and righteousness before God. That Jesus is the fulfillment of the entire Old Testament. That Jesus is the one that they have been waiting for. And any time you have that kind of language used by someone, we see it in, uh, in the New Testament, it is always interpreted by religious leaders as lawlessness when they first hear it. And that's exactly the way... They interpret it, and it ended up leading to Stephen being stoned to death. Chapter 7, verse 1. So Stephen is brought before the high priest and the Sanhedrin and the religious council, and they say, Hey, Stephen, is this true? These things that you've been saying about the law and about the temple, are they true? And Stephen responds, and you can go read it, with a very long sermon or speech in chapter 7. And what he's essentially doing in that speech is reinforcing his position on the council or on the the law and the temple. And then look at verse 51. He kicks it up a notch. And he says, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit Just like your fathers did, so do you. You've persecuted every prophet. You've killed the Messiah. And oh, for the law that you love so much, that you're always talking about, you don't keep that either. And then he drops the mic and walks out. I mean, it's it's what the feel of the passage is. It is a mic drop moment, and it it had to have left people speechless because you don't talk that way to the religious leaders of that day. Stephen, filled with the Holy Spirit, and what does the Holy Spirit want to do? It wants to expose people and convict them of their sin and their need for a Savior. But if you look here, there's a couple of things that need some explaining because we don't talk this way. We don't use terms like uncircumcised in heart and ears. (laughs) We don't use terms like stiff-necked. So what do, we, what do they mean by those terms? Uh, the term stiff neck was a term used in the Old Testament. Sometimes God's people will say that, but most of the time it is a phrase used by God to describe his own people. What does it mean? Well, it refers to someone who doesn't acknowledge God in their life. 
someone who doesn't love God or want to serve God. It's someone who basically looks at what God's calling them to do and what God says in his word and says, eh, nah, whatever. I don't care. I'm going to do what I'm going to do. And so there's a natural application question here that we've got to ask. Are you described or could you be described as someone who is stiff-necked? Someone who doesn't care about God or acknowledge God in your life. There's another phrase, the uncircumcised in heart and ears. Again, an Old Testament concept uh, that can be something that is outward and physical, circumcision, because you see in the Old Testament that it was a physical sign given to Jewish males to set them apart for God. But when the Bible talks about circumcision, it not only talks about something that's outward, it talks about something that is inward and spiritual. And that's what Stephen's doing here. He's talking about their heart. And Stephen is saying to the religious leaders, there is something about your insides that are uncircumcised. Your heart is uncircumcised. You might have heard this story. Uh, I'm convinced it's an urban legend, but it's still a really good story. There's a girl who was a photographer living in New York City, a very good photographer. Uh, she had tons of, tons of expensive uh, camera equipment, and she lived in this really tiny apartment with all her camera equipment and her huge golden retriever dog who was aging. Well, the dog ends up passing away of old age. And so she's wondering with this huge golden retriever in her apartment, what do I do with a dead dog in New York City? It's not like I have a backyard to go bury this dog in. And so she did probably what we would have done. She calls the vet and she says, I've got this dog that has passed away. What do I do with this dog? And the vet says, oh, bring it down to the clinic and we'll dispose of the dog. Well, there's another question. How do, in New York City, how do I get this dog to the vet? So she sees her very beautiful, nice camera case that holds all her equipment. And she has an idea. I'm going to put the dog in the camera case and I'm going to carry it on the subway and take it to the vet. And so she puts the dog in this very nice camera case. It's beautiful. It makes it look like there's lots of expensive camera equipment on the inside. But, in the, but on the inside, in actuality, is a rotting corpse. And she takes the bag. She puts it on her shoulder. She's dragging it out to the subway. The man comes up to her, sees her, and, sa- and offers to help. And she's like, thank goodness, I'm relieved. This thing's heavy. And he punches her in the face, runs off with the camera case, Thinking what? That it has all this really expensive, I have struck gold here for the money I'm going to make. And he opens it up only to find a rotting corpse. On the outside, it was a huge bag full of expensive equipment. It was a treasure. But on the inside, it was a rotting corpse. That's exactly what Stephen's doing here with the religious leaders. He says, you look awful pretty on the outside. You look like that bag of expensive camera equipment. You're movers and shakers. 
you're good teachers. You know the law. You're a good person. But on the inside, you're a rotting corpse. How do you think that went over? On the inside, something is wrong. Something is wrong with your heart, and you need to be cut, not in a hurtful way, but in a healing way by the Lord Jesus. Because if your heart is not circumcised, then you will remain just as you are, stiff-necked, unable to obey the law. Religious leaders, you are just like everyone else. You're a lawbreaker. Did you know the same is true for you this morning? If you do not know Jesus. See we live in a culture that tells you that most people are good. And inherently good. But that is totally against what the Bible teaches. The Bible says everyone shows up into the world with an uncircumcised heart. And it's not just we see it here. We see it everywhere in the Bible. Jesus says it in Mark chapter 7. It's not what goes into you that makes you unclean. It's what? What comes out from the inside. And so the problem Jesus is saying in your heart is, is your heart. And so what's the problem? The problem is not college. College doesn't mess people up. The problem's not youth culture. The problem's not the music that you listen to. The problem is something on the inside, and Jesus says what comes out of your heart, and go read it, it'll make the hair stand up on the back of your neck. Mark chapter 7, what comes out of a person on the inside is evil thoughts, sexual immorality, he lists off this very long list, and you're saying we get it. Murder, mass shootings, and the list goes on. And Stephen is laying out for these people and for us this morning a whole new way of salvation. And it can only be found in Jesus Christ alone. Look at verse 52. Look at what he calls Jesus, the righteous one. That's intentional. Why? Because the good news of the gospel is that what saves you is not your righteousness. Remember who he's talking to. It's not your goodness. It's not how much you know and how good you are and how good your performance is. What saves you is the righteous one. Jesus, who gives you his perfect righteousness, who was the one that performed perfectly for you. And so here's my question, and I never want to get tired of asking this question. Do you know Jesus this morning? Has your heart been circumcised on the inside by Jesus? Have you given up on your own goodness and your own righteousness and your own performance and trusted in the righteous one who was righteous for you? If you want to know more about that, please find me. I would love to talk to you. Find any of the pastors any of our elders, any of our staff members, we would love to talk with you about what it means for you to know Jesus personally. Secondly, the Holy Spirit gives you confidence and courage. Look at verses 55 or 54 and 55. This is probably, you want to talk about leveling me this week? This leveled me. When they heard these things, they were enraged, okay? So, You can imagine they're upset with what he has said to them. 
they ground their teeth, but he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw, listen to this, the glory of God and Jesus not sitting, but standing at the right hand of God. My goodness. Mm. God pulled back the curtain for just a moment. And he allowed Stephen, his child, who was on trial for his life, to see the glory of God and to see Jesus standing on his behalf. Wait a minute, didn't we just spend a whole sermon in Acts chapter 1 talking about Jesus being seated? Wait a minute, the Apostles' Creed, don't we confess that Jesus is sitting seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, but here he's standing. What's going on? Let me explain. Think about a modern courtroom. Who's standing in a modern courtroom? The defense attorney and the prosecution. What's the judge doing? He's seated on the bench for the remainder of the trial. Here in Acts, Stephen is on trial for his life in front of the highest earthly court in Israel, and he looks up and he sees Jesus standing, not sitting, but standing in his customary place at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. Imagine for a moment that like Stephen, you're on trial for your life. You come into the courtroom, you declare your innocence, you sit down, and the prosecution stands up and comes after you and says that you, ha- you are guilty of a heinous crime, and sits down, and then you look around and you're waiting for your defense attorney. There's only one problem, is your defense attorney is nowhere to be found. Can you imagine, in that moment, if that's you, how frightened and afraid you would be? You have no one to defend you. Well, imagine at that moment, that the judge stands up and leaves the bench, comes down to the floor and says, I'm the defense attorney. I will defend you. And imagine that person being God himself. Would that not be the best case scenario? To have your judge also as your defense attorney. Do you think that would send you out into the world, a broken, fallen world with confidence and just a little bit of courage? That's what Stephen saw. That's what's going on in this passage. The heavens open up and he sees the judge, not of an earthly courtroom, but of heaven and earth rising to his defense. That is amazing, friends. And if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, he rises to your defense. You see, the disciples were told by Jesus that Jesus would send another advocate. And we know that the other advocate or helper is the Holy Spirit. But what that implies is that there is a first advocate. There is a first helper. Who is that? That is Jesus. Jesus is your advocate and he is your defense attorney God has appointed Jesus to be both your judge and your defense attorney. F.F. Bruce is a scholar. Listen to what he says. Stephen has been confessing Christ before men, and now he sees Christ confessing him before God. Verse 55. 
the emphasis there is that he was full of the Holy Spirit. What does that tell us about the job of the Holy Spirit? It tells us that one of the things the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life and one of his roles is to take what you know in your head about the gospel and about Jesus. And for some of you, that's a lot because you've heard this your entire life. And the Holy Spirit wants to take all of that and make that and set it on fire inside your heart. At this moment, think about this moment with Stephen. He's on trial for his life, and he sees the throne room of heaven, and he says, Jesus in his defense, and the verdict there in heaven became so real to him, so overwhelming, it set his heart on fire, so much so that the verdict in this kangaroo court down here that he was experiencing became inconsequential. You see that? Stephen knew that in the only courtroom that really mattered, the cosmic courtroom, he had a verdict of not guilty. He had a verdict of you're accepted and you are loved. And it became so real to him that it trumped everything else. Everyone else's opinion of him. And it even pushed out, if you look at the passage, his fear of dying. What about your life? What does this have to do with you? We've been asking this question on a Tuesday afternoon at 2 p.m. Here's the question. How do you face life that is hard? How do you face the brokenness and fallenness of the world in which you live? How do you walk out of these doors into Monday morning with courage and confidence and joy and poise? Isn't that the question? Well, what's interesting is Jesus doesn't give you a program. Boy, that'd be nice, wouldn't it? A five-step program to being able to live with poise and courage and confidence in a broken, fallen world. No, Jesus gives you a person. He gives you himself in the form of the Holy Spirit to live inside you. And what he does is he makes the gospel come alive in your heart and it makes his love for you more real than everything else around you and everything else that the world is screaming at you to believe. And so what does it look like? Well, it looks like when you feel crushed by criticism and failure on a Tuesday afternoon. It looks like the Holy Spirit reminding you that your worth and value is not found in other people's comments. It's not found in worldly success, but it's found in what Jesus has made you and who he says you are. And when you believe that down here, you suddenly, nothing matters you move into the world with confidence and poise and courage. Moms, if you're a mom this morning of school-aged children, school has either started or will start this week, and maybe it's already happened, but if it hasn't yet, it is coming. But you're about to be thrown back into the courtroom called Over the Mountain Birmingham. And in that courtroom, the prosecution will stand up and will start saying, you're not enough. You're a terrible mom because you don't sign your kids up for every activity under the sun and do everything else that everyone else is doing. Or you don't look good enough. You need to be in better shape. Or... 
you need to volunteer more. And what are the people going to say when they don't see you volunteering up at the school? They're going to think you're not involved and uninterested. You need to do more. Does this, does this sound familiar? Prosecution? You need to be more in order to be acceptable. Friends, and I want you moms to see this passage and see Jesus standing up. Standing up in your defense. And I want you to hear in the only courtroom that really matters. And I want it to become the spirit to make it so real to your heart that you are loved and accepted and that you matter and that the verdict is already in on you. You get that going in your heart, what's that do? Suddenly you move out into the world with confidence, poise, and freedom. Freedom. Students, maybe you're going to a new school this year. Maybe you're going off to college for the first time. Can I be honest? I don't think I was ever more afraid than the first day of school. Students, I want you to see Jesus standing on your behalf. And through his Holy Spirit, he is walking into that school with you. And you are not alone. Students, you don't have to find your identity in social media. You don't have to find your identity in a friend group or a dating relationship. Why? Because you're valued and loved by the maker of heaven and earth. Friends, we could go on. It's the job of the Holy Spirit to argue in the court of your heart that what the gospel says is real and true. You know what your only job is? It's to pray against the accusations of Satan and to listen to the Holy Spirit. To listen to what he says is true of you. Lastly and very briefly, the Holy Spirit works in unexpected ways. I want to look at the end of the passage because I think this is important because we need to talk about the point of this passage. If you look at the end of the passage, uh, they cried out in a loud voice. They stopped their ears. So if it sounded like young children putting their hands over their ears, (laughs) that's exactly the picture. They don't like it. And, and, And they rush him. This is not this is chaos. This is you and hundreds of people pouncing on you. That's the picture here. This is totally a chaotic scene. Uh, this is a mob scene. And they drag him and they stone him to death. And here's my question: what's the point of this entire passage? It's easy to look at this passage because there's so much going on and to think, well, the point of the passage is stone, the stoning of Stephen. That's not the point of the passage. Or, oh, or it's the, his friends that are lamenting as they bury him. It's not the point of the passage. Or, and those, those are important things, and, and, and we see them here. Or the courage of Stephen. There are so much going on. When you pull up at 30,000 feet, you're, you're able to see it more clearly, and so that's what I want to help us do. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. It's the key verse for the entire book of Acts. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Hang with me. Acts chapter 2, where are they? Jerusalem. Chapter 3, chapter 4, chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 7. That really long sermon, you know where 
Stephen's delivering that sermon? Jerusalem. Verse, chapter 8, verse 1. Saul approved of Stephen's execution, and a great persecution arose against the church in Jerusalem, and they were scattered throughout all Judea and Samaria. Verse 4, now they were scattered. Now that those who were scattered, what did they do? They went on preaching the gospel. You see it? Luke introduces this man named Saul, who we're going to see in a few weeks, is converted to a follower of Christ and becomes the Apostle Paul, who makes up the most of the rest of the book of Acts and is the most prominent figure in the New Testament. And what does Saul do? Takes the gospel to the world to the known world. He takes the gospel to the Gentiles. How did it happen? In a very unexpected way. We wouldn't have drawn this up. How did that happen? It happened through the death of Stephen. His death began a persecution in which the Holy Spirit, by force, took the gospel and Christianity into all the world. Saul and the mob thought that they were stamping out Christianity and extinguishing it. And it was the very thing that the Holy Spirit used to take the gospel and to make it go viral. The point of this passage, it's not to say, look at Stephen. Look at how great Stephen is. Now you go be like him. That would crush me, and it would crush you. That's not the point. The point is that God is on his throne, and the church will not be stopped, and the Spirit of God is moving forth the purposes of God in the world, the church, and your life, and it doesn't look the way you think it's going to look. And the other thing we see is that this is not meant to make you say, wow, look at Stephen, but it's meant to say, wow, look at how incredible Jesus is. It's meant to make you say, the same Jesus, the beauty is that the same Jesus that is standing to receive Stephen and be his advocate is the same Jesus that is standing right now to receive you and intercede with you before the Father and to present you righteous and clean. Is that not good news? Will you come to Jesus this morning? That's an invitation. Let's pray. Father, take these words and make them real to our hearts. I pray that you would convince us of our sin, that you would convince us that Christ is more than enough for us. And would you, through your Holy Spirit, even when we don't understand, help us to trust that you're always at work. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.